welcome to the first episode of Hidden Secrets, and I'm really excited because we're really going to start this uh, this series off with, or this playlist off with, <clears throat> with uh, a big bang, if you want to call it. So, what we're going to be talking about today is interdimensional portals, energy fields, the frequencies of the Earth, and NASA and CIA studies that have proven this to be true, and then and beyond that, really. So. It may seem like a lot, but I'm going to break it down step by step that will make it very, very easy. And then you'll see how it's all just going to come back into itself and it's all connected, essentially. So to begin with, let me just start by saying that there are a number of areas across the world that are known to be what many have referred to as portals or energetic hotspots. Now, I want to make this very clear. This could very well tie in to spirits and the paranormal and what have you because the frequencies of the earth and the frequencies that and vibrations that people give off and, and animals give off and living beings give off could very well be intertwined with that of different spirits or different beings within different dimensions, right? It, it all depends on how you define it and how you look at it. So I'm going to be talking about that another time, but I just want to make it clear that that's something that can't be ruled out either. So all the way from ancient megaliths to lee lines, these areas are often alleged to produce what a lot of people have referred to as hyperdimensional gateways. Now, while we don't exactly know how to open a portal to another dimension, there is substantial evidence that this particular phenomenon could in fact exist. And now, thank God, finally, it seems that science might actually be catching up to this possibility. So typically, portal areas have some type of electromagnetic significance and are located near large deposits of quartz or other minerals with piezoelectric properties, right? So it came as less of a surprise when NASA announced in 2012, this is eight years ago, by the way, that the University of Iowa physicist Jack Scudder found hard evidence of portals created by the interaction between the Earth and the sun's magnetospheres. So let me make this very clear. These portals are extremely volatile and very unpredictable. And again, we also have to define the word portal. When you say the word portal, a lot of people think of movies in Hollywood, which is a accurate, but to a fairly limited extent in a lot of ways. So these portals open and close in literally milliseconds, some of them. Some of them last a little bit longer, some of them even shorter. But Scudder found markers, which he refers to as X-points, or electron diffusion regions, which NASA allowed, or sorry, which allowed NASA probes to locate and study them. So, it then launched the Magnetospheric Multiscale Mission, or MMS as it's called, which mapped how two celestial bodies' magnetic fields connect, disconnect, and explosively transfer energy, subsequently opening portals and closing them as well. So, for now at least from what we've been able to witness from a scientific perspective, 
Only electrons have been observed to travel through these portals, generating auroras and the occasional magnetic storm near Earth's poles. But this discovery could be the key to uncovering the function of some of the legendary portals on Earth that are said to act as gateways to other dimensions, if you will. Now, the question then becomes, could these portals also be used for time travel? Could they be used to appear on different planets within the universe? Could you appear in these different planets in the same dimension, or will you appear in a different dimension? Still on... Them within this metaphysical realm, but ultimately in a different plane, if you will, similar to astral projection, how your soul can leave your body, but you're still, you're in a different dimension, but you still observe the materialistic objects in this, and physical objects in this world. However, you can't really touch them, remove them, or it's very difficult. So the interdimensional portal has long been a, a sort of device of science fiction, but it also finds its place within myriad ancient cultures and many other cultures as well. So according to Freddie Silva, throughout history, we've slowly lost our connection to the earth. But in times of antiquity, long, long ago, people were able to naturally distinguish energetic fields and hotspots across the land. Now, I don't need Freddie Silva to tell me this, but I think that there would be a general consensus amongst a lot of people that this is probably the case. Think about it. When you look at how humans have shifted to being interested more in artificial material things rather than wanting to connect with the earth or gr stay grounded with the earth and maintain frequencies and, and be in tune and rhythm with the earth, right? Which might sound a little bit of a of a hippie kind of thing to say, but it really isn't because there's a lot of a lot of scientific proof that can can back that up as well. But it, it has to do with your intuition and your gut and, and everything like that. So our ancestors identified particular places considered energetically anomalous. And in these areas, one finds either a succession of temples or a temple that has withstood the test of time. And you don't need any proof to back that up. You can just go look at, go fly to Egypt and look at the pyramids uh, or go to Peru and, and look at all that. Go to Stonehenge, Stonehenge and check it out, right? So Silva points to a number of Gothic cathedrals built on grounds originally identified by pagans as being sacred grounds. Now, these energetic locales or areas are considered sacrosanct because they represent areas where our inner temple, the mind, is able to access higher states of consciousness, therefore connecting with extra-dimensional entities or invoking out-of-body experiences. So whether these areas always represented dimensional portals for the mind or a portal for the physical body is up, to, is up for debate, really. But ultimately, I do want to note, there always seems to be this connection, whether it's with extraterrestrials or interdimensional beings or beings that are witnessed in the esoteric realms or when someone astral projects, there seems to be a connection. And I can't put my finger on it just yet, and I don't claim to know the answer, but I have a, a very strong feeling in my gut that there is, through the energy and the frequencies of the world, there is some type of conscious connection between these things. There may not be a tight connection, but there's at least a loose one. 
So Graham Hancock references the many stories of native shamans traversing planes of consciousness through the use of psychedelic substances such as ayahuasca. So within this ecstatic state, shamans report meeting teachers and guides who provide advice and wisdom for living within the everyday realm of our existence. But Hancock also says he believes it is worth considering that there may be something otherworldly to these portal areas, something beyond the current modern human materialistic comprehension. Now again, I've spoken about this a few times before with regards to psychedelics, and I want to stress it again. We don't know right now as to whether or not psychedelics are sort of a an internal chemical brain phenomenon or psychosis that occurs within us when we take psychedelics like LSD or or DMT or shrooms and we realize that we're communicating with beings or we we don't know if it's within us or if it's literally our spirit and our soul communicating with something else within another dimension out there. Truly at this point it's it's very 50-50 right now. So one location that seems to fit the description of almost everything I've been talking about since I started this episode is Puerta de Hayu Marsa in Peru. Now, situated on a plateau just off the western banks of Lake Titicaca, Puerta de Hayu Marsa, sorry if I'm butchering it, translates to Gate of the Gods, reaching 23 feet in both height and in width. And it appears to be a doorway to nowhere carved into a rock in a remote area known as the Valley of the Spirits or the Stone Forest. And this has been featured on many different shows. I think about 10 years ago it was on Ancient Aliens and and all that. But what I find extremely interesting about this is scientists have not been able to figure out why this was the case. And I'm going to put the picture up right over here if I haven't already. But if you're watching on YouTube... But what I find extremely interesting is that unless our ancestors or these, these uh, humans of, of their time were completely idiotic and stupid, when you witness, you can go fly there and see yourself or just look at the picture, when you witness the way that this sort of little gateway to literally just more rock to nowhere was created, it seems as though it was some sort of portal or at least if it wasn't a portal it brought someone to a a higher elevated consciousness version of themselves and again unless these people in this culture were stupid which i highly doubt there has to be something to it that we as a people not just as as a society but as a people have disconnected from in today's day and age right and it could be the fact that we're more attracted to materialistic things and we have more of an ego now and we're more greedy it, it could be that but to say that these people were they all had psychosis or they were all morons or what i i don't think that's the case honestly right because the legend has it that when spanish conquest Conquistadors, sorry, came to Peru to loot the Inca's gold. A priest named Amara Maru used Hayu Marsa as a portal to escape. Maru allegedly placed a golden disc, known as the key to the gods of the seven rays, into a socket in the center of Hayu Marsa's carved door, opening a portal and allowing him to walk through the stone, never to be seen again. Now again, 
You look at the picture closely. You go visit it yourself. What you'll find within this so-called doorway is something, a, a, a purposefully carved and engraved hole in which it looks like you could actually put an object inside of it. The question that then becomes, where is this object? And if that's the case, what will it activate? The, does, the, does the government have it? Does a, a faction of the government have it? Right? Was Maru, did Maru take it with him when he transported or teleported? Right? And now you can call this folklore, but again, I, I think that it's very difficult to, to downplay this when the physical evidence is still there. It's not like there's this torn down rock that kind of looks like it had a doorway in it. Right? It, it's very clear. Very precisely engraved. Very, you can see, like, this was made for a reason. This was designed in there for a reason. Right? So, regarding energy fields, visitors of Hayu Marka have reported noticeably unusual energy fields there, with some saying that they can feel pulsating energy emanating from the rock when placing their hands in its center. Now, many who have reviewed the ancient site online mention this feeling of elevated or intense energy there, right? And scientists who have looked into it, not heavily, but the ones who have looked into it, who have brought devices to measure frequencies and energy readings have noticed a very substantial spike. So, in more recent lore, a man named Hoe Luis Delgado Mamani was said to have rediscovered Hayu Marsa in 1996, astonished by what he saw. The gateway of the gods looked familiar to him, as he had seen a similar threshold in his dreams with pink marble, and Mamani knew instantly this was the same vision from his reveries. So, he said, and I quote, When I saw the structure for the first time, I almost passed out. I have dreamed of such a construction repeatedly over the years, but in the dream, the path to the door was paved with pink marble and with pink marble statues lining either side of the path. In the dream, I also saw the smaller door was open and there was a brilliant blue light coming from what looked like a shimmering tunnel. End quote. The question then becomes, and I, you might be asking why do I bring this up, the question then becomes, was this gentleman contacted by other worldly beings through his dreams, which has been the case in many instances in the past, not regarding this particular, uh, this particular doorway or path, but other things. And so it's very interesting that he has this dream and then all of a sudden he, he finds out very shortly after that it's been rediscovered again, if you will, right? And I'm not saying that this is plausible, but I certainly think that it is definitely possible. For someone to say that it's not possible, particularly given what's being discovered in today's day and age, I think would be very, very narrow and closed-minded of people, right? Now, we've covered the whole energy aspect, and we've given an example of it, and we're kind of bringing it full circle now, but now we need to address the science. So, if you talk to most people who subscribe to the string theory, they'll tell you it's very likely we live in a multi-dimensional universe. So, as a matter of fact, many string theorists believe that beyond our three-dimensional reality, actually, well, four if you include time, there may actually be 10 or 11 different dimensions, 
all potentially with their own unique law of physics and chemistry. So, there are similarities between many different portals and dimensions, right? Such as uh, electromagnetic energy and gravity and, and all that. But the fact that there may be dimensions beyond our own, of which we can only observe certain limited signs or quantum signs that don't seem to fall into a unified theory of explanation, sort of justifies the intrigue of us not understanding such complexities even more, right? And that might be shut down for, I might be shut down for saying that. People might not like what I just said because they may observe it as being very general and vague. But ultimately, I think that at the end of the day, the things in which are unobservable are the things in which we have yet to be able to explain in a lot of aspects, right? Whether it's out-of-body experiences, near-death experiences, many, many different things, right? So according to the Randall-Sundrum model developed by Lisa Randall and Raman Sundrum, we might live in a space that contains a warped and gravitational heavy fifth dimension known as the gravity brain or Planck brain. This theory explains why gravity is the weakest of all the fundamental forces while also allowing for the possibility that we exist on one of these brains, unable to see reality on the surface of another brain, unless there was some kind of portal, right? So the question then becomes, could it be possible that a confluence of electromagnetic events occasionally opens up a portal into one of those other dimensions or onto the surface of another brain, right? And brain spelt B-R-A-N-E, not B-R-A-I-N. And we also have to ask, could this have anything to do with all of the ephemeral paranormal phenomena that are so seemingly ineffable and, 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 and provable in a lot of cases, right? Because, I mean, when you look at the paranormal, and I'm not an expert on it, very strong paranormal beings, whether they're good or bad, seem to be able to very restrictively or, or yeah, restrictively interact with this world, or at least the materialis materialistic objects of this world, whether it's people who have witnessed kind of just shadows walking by, which is more of a visual thing, or people who have literally witnessed knives being thrown across the room or objects being pushed or things being turned on, right? So Randall plans to test her theory through the use of the Large Hadron Collider at CERN, but whether it will allow us any insight into the possibility of interdimensional travel by way of a portal is completely up in the air right now, right? And that's the other thing, too, with CERN. I, I have a little bit of an issue with CERN, but I, I don't want to get into that right now. But then we also have to, and by the way, this test hasn't been done. But then we also have to ask, too, what does this have to do, for example, with UFOs or, or things like that? So when we look at energy fields or places which have very strong energy, I mean, it's been proposed that things like the Bermuda Triangle, for example, ha has some type of portal 
that science has yet to discover because UFOs always seem to be heading towards the Bermuda Triangle. People who have flown through the Bermuda Triangle have either disappeared or have either come out on the other side experiencing a major or dramatic difference in time. Right? They've traveled somewhere far quicker than what their clock had showed them, for example. Right? So, when we look at, for example, and bear with me, because I'm, I'm just using this word because it's, it's a little more general for the sake of what I'm about to describe. When we look at sort of the, the interdimensional kind of Bigfoot theories, right? It would be easy to say that these are simply archetypal figures, sort of beings of our collective consciousness, you know, conjured in our minds with anthropomorphic sorry, features based on fears or subliminal functions of our psyche, right? Or psychosis or whatever. You can blame it on a bunch of things. Or, and I'm not saying this is true, but we could entertain the ostensibly rather bizarre possibility that these are entities from another dimension operating on higher or even lower realms of existence. So, many people who have studied this refer to these entities as not extraterrestrials, but rather ultra-terrestrials, sort of beings that are capable of crossing dimensions at will, often acting as sort of, I guess if you want to dumb it down, cosmic prankers, if you want to call it. So, people say they experienced these entities from a psychedelic realm cross into the real world after encountering them during and in the, in the subsequent weeks following the psychedelic trip. Now, that's not everyone, but some people who do psychedelics claim to see beings, even when they're walking around the house a week or two weeks after they had a, a, a psychedelic trip or got high off of psychedelics, they'll walk into their bedroom and they'll notice a, a being there. Then they'll, they'll blink a few more times and all of a sudden this being is gone, right? So, when it comes to things like Bigfoot, Sasquatch, the Yeti, or whatever you want to call them, there's sort of a playfulness and kind of a spookiness described in their actions, right? S uh, tree knocking or eerie screams alert us to their presence until we get close enough where they might offer a glimpse until they suddenly disappear, right? Now, I say again, I say the word Bigfoot because it's a little bit difficult for me to kind of pinpoint evidence of their being Bigfoot. Uh, in the literal sense of the word, but I do, I do say it for the sake of describing a sort of primitive ape-like creature, right? So, an intriguing account tying UFOs and Big Bigfoot together came from an 1888 meeting between cattle ranchers and a group of Native Americans in Northern California. The natives described three crazy bears that descended from the sky in a small moon, leaving them in the woods before taking off. In another instance in Cincinnati, Ohio, in 1973, a woman named Rifa Heightfield and her daughter were awakened in the middle of the night to a beam of light extending down from a bulbous umbrella shape in the sky. Tracking the light to where it landed in the, in the nearby woods, the two noticed a grayish sort of simian creature wandering toward the beam. The beam sorry. Before they knew it, both this ape and the craft disappeared. And... Although a lot of people may discredit these reports, it's a known fact that at least 20% of Bigfoot or ape-like being sightings coincide with UFO events. 
right? So Jack Carey, a cryptozoologist who studied Bigfoot for decades, says he believes it's alternatively plausible that Bigfoot is being abducted by UFOs in much the same way humans are to study its DNA and physical attributes, right? He also describes, or, sorry, subscribes to the idea that something called the mock effect could explain the possibility of interdimensional travel. So the mock effect, which is actually a sound principle in phys physics <clears throat> being tested by NASA currently, employs the use of fluctuations created by a body of mass as it accelerates that are in turn used to generate thrust. Carey says he believes the Earth's fluctuations can create momentary tears in the electromagnetic membrane, separating our universe with a parallel one, allowing extra-dimensional entities access into the dimension that we currently live in, right? So many people do believe that we're dealing with a sort of an unrecognized level of consciousness, if you want to call it, independent of man but closely linked to Earth, right? So... I think in a lot of cases, not all, but in a lot of cases, the notion of these sightings are a little bit too simplistic to explain their appearance, the, to explain the frequency of their manifestations throughout recorded history, and the structure of the information exchanged with them during contact. Now, I do want to note as well that Bigfoot sightings and things like this, they could very well be extraterrestrials walking on this planet, they could actually be interdimensional beings or beings that once existed that are now in different realms. Um, it could very well be, I mean, I don't know about this theory, but there's a theory that Bigfoot does in fact exist, a sort of ape-like figure that is not like humans at all, that are constantly being abducted by UFOs for the case of studying. Could be that the government's got to deal with them. It's difficult to say, right? Now, just to finish off the whole circle, if you will, if we tie it into the CIA. In the 1960s, the CIA investigated simultaneous encounters, or alleged encounters, with Bigfoot and a UFO at Presque Isle State Park in Erie, Pennsylvania. The ensuing reports were documented as part of the infamous Project Blue Book that we all know now that the CIA looked into, during which the government investigated thousands of cases involving UFOs. Right? So, Presque Isle is a peninsula arching out over Lake Erie from the Presque Isle Bay, one of the state's most visited summer tourist destinations, on the night of July 31st, 1966. So, on this particular day, four tourists from New York found their car stuck in the sand after spending the day relaxing on Beach 6 of the peninsula. One member of the group, named Gerald, Gerald LeBell, was sent to call a tow truck while the others remained in the car. Around 10 p.m., police on patrol stopped to ask if they were, were all right. After being informed that help was on the way, the officer said they would check back within the hour. When the police returned about 35 minutes later, the group said it witnessed something weird going on up there, and I quote, pointing to a location in the sky above a wooded area. One of the group's members, Douglas Tibbetts, went to investigate along with the two officers. The two women in the group, Betty Clem and Anita Hayfley, remained in the car while they waited for everyone else to return. Tibbetts and the officers walked roughly 300 yards up the beach before hearing the honking of their car's horn hurrying back to see what happened. 
Clem and Haefley were very shaken up and said they witnessed a dull black shape, bigger than a man, big head and big shoulders, uh, big shoulders, arm-like appendages, no hands, no face visible, as though it had its back turned. In front of their car before it lumbered into the bushes, right? A scratching sound on the hood or roof of the car was also reported. In the end, this creature was dismissed by investigators as a raccoon, despite these two ladies' very distinct description of a bipedal humanoid figure. But then the question becomes, what about the UFO? Right? So, the UFO was described as an angular craft emitting red and orange lights before descending down to the beach where it radiated a beam of white light that tracked something into the woods. But eventually, it took off at an incredible speed to the north shortly after the woman encountered the humanoid figure. So, in the early hours of the following morning, officers patrolled the area of where the craft allegedly landed. The report says they noticed the presence of two unusual triangular marks in the area coinciding with the craft's landing zone. The officer who filed the report said, and I quote, I have no reasonable explanation of the UFO, end quote, and described the witnesses as credible. Fully credible, might I add. Investigation of the case ultimately on the police level, was abandoned and remained unsolved to this day. Project Blue Book report dismisses the group's testimony as a hoax, though no definitive conclusion was made. So, again, at the end of the, at the, end of the day, this is what happened. The CIA guys came in, took over the investigation, and said that was it. Just like with many other things, men showing up in black suits, and then it's gone. So, again, very hard to say. So I hope I've kind of brought everything together regarding energies and consciousness and, and the way in which things are being studied and looked at and the feeling of things being hidden from us. So let me know what you guys think and we'll catch you next time. Peace.